TED Audio Collective. Hi, everyone. We have something a little different for you today. It's an episode of the TED Radio Hour from NPR. This is an excerpt from a special three-part series called Mind, Body, Spirit. Perhaps that phrase sounds a bit trite or cliche to you. A hallmark of the hashtag self-care, hashtag wellness industry. But host Manoj Zamarodi has decided to reclaim that phrase. And over on the show, they are exploring how we think, feel, and move, as well as how those things are all interconnected. This next segment is from their episode, On the Mind. And I think you'll really enjoy it. To hear the full series, find and follow the TED Radio Hour wherever you're listening to this. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for TED Tech comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all-in-one, easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedtech. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedtech. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston. And on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click here. Stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines. Satellite. Engine ignition. Click here. And liftoff. Click here. Every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you ever learned to program a computer, the first thing you probably did was get it to type out the phrase, hello world. 
and it probably felt like magic if it worked, like you had given technology a brain. But what if a brain was given technology? A brain-computer interface is a device that goes into your brain, and it can listen to activity in certain parts of the brain. This is physician Tom Oxley. He specializes in vascular neurosurgery. And I'm the founding CEO of Synchron, a brain-computer interface company. In 2020, Tom's company started testing their device in people, including a man named Philip O'Keefe. Philip was the second participant in our first in-human study of our implantable brain-computer interface. He lives in Melbourne, Australia. And Philip has ALS, or motor neuron disease, and he was facing a progressing loss of control of his body as the ALS progressed. So if your muscles stop working, but your brain is still working, you can, in a sense, become trapped inside your head. So this technology is a way to put almost what is a microphone right on top of the brain and bypassing the inability of the body to transmit out your intention or your will to move. Basically, the technology decodes what part of the body the brain is trying to activate and then sends out a signal that makes a cursor move or a computer mouse click. Yeah, so you're able to directly manipulate a mouse or a keyboard by thinking about trying to move, even though your body is no longer moving. Almost like a Bluetooth mouse directly controlled out of the brain that can work on any system. Philip started off doing simple tasks using his BCI, like sending an email and browsing the web. But after a year, he wanted to take things to the next level. So he sent out a tweet. The first tweet said, hello world. That was what it meant to him. He was saying hello back to the world because he'd gone quiet, he'd gone dark, and, and he was back. And that's, that's really what this technology is about. Philip O'Keefe can't use his fingers to type like you or I, but thanks to a tiny brain implant, he was able to send the following tweets. Here's Tom Oxley on the TED stage. Hello world, short tweet, monumental progress. No need for keystrokes or voices. I created this tweet just by thinking it. My hope is that I pave the way for people to be able to tweet through thoughts. Phil. Now, you might be thinking there are some people out there who should not be allowed to tweet directly from their brain. <laughs> I agree. But for people with paralysis and disability, this technology can be life-changing. They will fill up brain signals up on the screen. They're connected to their computers via Bluetooth. The device is fully internalized, invisible to the outside world and they learn to control the keyboard with clicks directly coming from their brain. Now, BCIs conjure up images of science fiction like The Matrix, with a cable jacked up into your brain through a hole in your skull, but I'm here to show you that the future can be much more elegant than that. I mean, it's crazy. Do you remember the first time that you heard about brain-computer interfaces? Because people have been trying to do this for a while, right? The first report of a human implant was in 2006 by Lee Hochberg and colleagues in Nature. And I was immediately besotted with the idea that this was going to be a transformational technology. 
I went into medicine because I loved the brain. There was this mystery and romanticism about what the brain was, how it worked, how it generated consciousness. And then you realize that there's not many things that you can do for neurological disease. You can't reverse the death of neurons. You can't replace neurons. And I realized that this is a field in medicine which is sort of behind the other areas of medicine and an ability to treat conditions. And it struck me that the ability to directly interface with the brain was going to change that. Because up until then, what scientists had been trying to do, they had to go directly, like, drill a hole and put a device in people's brain. Is that what the challenge was? Yeah. The breakthrough early research device is a series of needles that sit on a base. And those needles get pushed into the brain tissue and they are able to record information out of the brain. There's an issue with putting a needle into the brain and that is that it can cause a inflammation reaction. Mm. The brain does not like to be invaded. The brain has an immune response which is different to the rest of the body. Hmm. Uh, you can put a tattoo under your skin and it will not cause a huge inflammatory reaction, but you can't do that necessarily on the brain. So my concept was, well, how do we avoid putting something directly into the brain? What's the next closest we could do? And the idea that we had was, let's try and solve getting these sensors into the blood vessels and it can stay there for a lifetime. The blood vessels are the natural highways into the brain. These are hollow tubes that connect every corner of the brain. The largest vein at the top there is right next to the motor cortex, the exact part of the brain that we want to connect to to restore control to the outside world. Now, we already know how to travel through the blood vessels. If anyone here today has had a heart attack, there's a pretty good chance you've had a stent. A stent is a metal scaffold delivered through a catheter, which opens up like a flower into the blood vessel. Millions of stents are delivered each year, not in the OR, but in the cath lab, or catheter laboratory. It's now common in the cath lab to navigate up into the brain through the blood vessels. But what's really amazing about this is that for BCIs, we already know that devices can be left inside a blood vessel, cells grow over it, incorporate it into the wall like a tattoo under the skin, and we're protected from that immune reaction. This is part of the reason why our team became the first in the world to receive a green light from the FDA to conduct clinical trials of a permanently implanted BCI. We called this the Stentrode. So you've basically built a brain-computer interface into a stent. Um, and you place it not just in the brain, but in the brain's blood vessels, right? Yeah. It's extraordinary. Uh, can you take me through that process? The procedure involves putting a catheter into the jugular vein in the neck, then slipped up inside the skull through a little pre-existing hole that the jugular vein goes up. So it's, it's kind of going up the drain pipes of the brain. So you carry your way up through those pipes all the way up into the brain until you sit on the blood vessel that's sitting right on top of the motor cortex. Mm -hmm. And what we had to solve was how do you put sensors, how do you build an electronic circuit onto that stent? So then that device opens up, it sits in the blood vessel, it's connected to a cable, that cable exits that point in the neck in the jugular, 
and it plugs into a device in the chest that sends the information from the brain wirelessly out of the body. So if you were to look at the patient with the device in, you wouldn't know that it was there. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Okay, so once the stent has been put in, do you just think something and out it comes onto the keyboard? How do you do you have to train the patient in order to use their mind effectively to communicate through technology? The patients do undergo training. What's interesting is that we are born in bodies where there's a part of the brain attached to a muscle, and that's all that part of the brain does. So if you make a fist right now, Mm -hmm. there's a very particular part of your brain that's firing to do that. But once you digitize that, you can apply what used to be a particular movement, say closing a fist or putting up your finger or bending your elbow, and the patient will realize that that performs a particular task on the computer. Hmm. So you're talking about things where people use their brain to to do tasks that don't require their body. They just require manipulating something, a, a gadget. But are you thinking that there are other ways that this technology could be put to use in the future? Like, Could people actually maybe move a hand that wasn't working or a prosthetic limb? So definitely there are prosthetic limbs, exoskeletons, wheelchairs. I mean, you can drive a Tesla with very low number of button inputs now. (laughs) That's the world that we're moving into. So in the sense that this is a system that is a a corollary, a, a reflection of your intention to move in the world... Yes, that pathway is out ahead of us, but that's, you know, that, that, that's probably more future-looking. One of the most famous people who's in this uh, brain-computer interface field is, of course, Elon Musk. Mm. And he has laid out a vision where people control all kinds of things with their minds, virtual reality games, but also way more than that. He's talking about the brain fusing with artificial intelligence. Are, are you thinking of those things, too, where it's not just for people who have medical issues, but for anyone who wants to enhance their mind. I watch Netflix and I read science fiction novels and I can see that there's a likely outcome where this technology progresses into humans being able to control things in a way which wasn't previously possible. The thing is that we're talking on a very long timescale and Mm. I think it's important for people to remember that 
this technology is critical for people who have lost the ability to engage in the world. So I just worry that the conversation goes into a hundred year out time frame and we start looking at all the possibilities of how this could go wrong and we forget why actually we're doing this right now and who is it for. You know, I'm not dismissing the ethical considerations for where this goes. Like I've I've seen Black Mirror and I think the answer to that is let's confine the problem right now to what is needed to really help people and lay down a really strict regulatory framework about, you know, remaining in that domain. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's a, it's a Venn diagram of medical device and Silicon Valley utopian, maybe out there futurism. And I mean, your company, it's a for-profit company. You've taken venture capital and presumably your investors would like you to move as fast as you possibly can with this um, and scale it. So I guess I'm wondering when do the ethical considerations like when does that conversation start? Because we've seen it start way too late with so many other technologies in the past. I mean, you're right. The conversation has started for us now. We we have a ethical charter. We have a group that's set up. We have internal conversations about this a lot. We're talking with the FDA and we've been in close contact with them and continue to discuss these issues in an ongoing basis. I think the community's taking it very seriously. The kind of Venn diagram into the tech utopia, I think our investors are investing because they see that there is a huge unmet need in the medical domain for paralysis. Mm. Now, I mean, one other thing that I'd probably add to it is if I was to think ahead about what it might look like into that tipping point and Mm -hmm. who would be the people in the consumer world that would start to do this, the corollary I think about is LASIK surgery. LASIK surgery started 30 years ago and it's a laser on your eyeball and it makes you see better. This is a procedure that's a day procedure. You have to go into a hospital, you have to see a physician, it's regulated by FDA. But if your visual disturbance is only mild, you can still go and do that and you can take on the risk and benefit to get that done. I think BCI might go in that direction. Hmm. I'm not saying next year, this is probably like on a 15-year horizon, but once the technology is demonstrated to be safe and effective and it's in a day procedure and it's invisible to the outside world, there probably will be a portion of society who think, well, I would like to be able to engage in systems without having to touch anything so I don't have to hold my phone. I can see that as a possibility. In the future... I'm really excited about the breakthroughs BCI could deliver to other conditions like epilepsy, depression, and dementia. But beyond that, what is this going to mean for humanity? What's really got me thinking is the future of communication. Take emotion. Have you ever considered how hard it is to express how you feel? You have to self-reflect, package the emotion into words, and then use the muscles of your mouth to speak those words. But you really just want someone to know how you feel. For some people with certain conditions, that's impossible. So what if rather than using your words, you could throw your emotion just for a few seconds and have them really feel how you feel? At that moment, we would have realized that the necessary use of words to express our current state of being was always going to fall short the full potential of the brain would then be unlocked. You mentioned just how many mysteries there still are about the human brain and and how our minds work. 
where are we now in that understanding? I mean, it feels like, you know, we, we, we've mapped the human genome. That was exciting. We're now starting to hear about people getting genetic uh, treatments. Where are we with the brain, with our minds? For me, the huge mystery is the unconscious. You know, we've, for the most part, mapped the brain and understand it, but we have not figured out how the random, chaotic, unconscious world that exists when we're dreaming interacts with our day-to-day life. I started psychiatry and I decided not to do psychiatry because I didn't feel like we fully had a biological or physiological framework to understand why people were suffering. But I still don't feel like we've really cracked how the unconscious works and we haven't integrated that into a clear physiological framework yet. And so I'm on a journey right now. I think BCI has been incredible. It starts to equate to a reverse engineering of how the brain works. And the brain works similarly in different parts, and we're learning that now. But I'm hoping that over our lifetime, we're going to have major breakthroughs in the ability to integrate the whole mind, which includes the subconscious and the collective unconscious. I think it's going to be a really interesting 50 years to unlock those mysteries. That's Dr. Tom Oxley. He's a neurointerventionist and the founder and CEO of Synchron. You can see Tom's full talk at TED.com. Thank you so much for listening to this segment from our Mind episode. The entire show is fascinating, and so are the other two episodes in this three-part series. So please join me and NPR's TED Radio Hour for our Mind, Body, Spirit special series wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was produced by Isabel Carter, who also wrote it with me, Sherelle Dorsey. Our editor is Jimmy Gutierrez. Special thanks to Farah DeGrunge for her support as a project manager. The show is fact-checked by Julia Dickerson. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Join me next week for more. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for TED Tech comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all-in-one, easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash TED Tech. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED Tech.